0: Welcome to Multilingual Montessori, a podcast where we discuss multilingualism, multiculturalism, and raising children from a Montessori perspective. I'm Gabrielle Kutkav, an AMI Montessori guide and TESOL instructor, and I'm the founder of the Multilingual Montessori website and Instagram account. Today, I'm speaking with Jessica Winery, a Montessorian mom and entrepreneur in Austin, Texas. She is an AMI 3-6 Montessori guide who started her own Montessori school in August of 2020 during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. Prior to that, she and her partner Joe took a year off to travel throughout Asia in 2019 with their then three-year-old daughter. We talk all about what that experience was like for their family and how it led to the decision to open her own Montessori school. Jessica is Indian American, and she shares what biculturalism looks like in her family and how she and her daughter are learning more about Indian culture and traditions together. Jessica also shares her experiences with the sex-positive parenting movement and why the language we use to talk about our bodies and consent with young children is so important. We get into all of that and more in this conversation. A few reminders about Montessori lingo before we start. You'll hear us talk about AMI, which stands for Association Montessori Internationale, the organization that was founded by Maria Montessori and her son Mario in 1929. You'll also hear us talk about the Children's House, which is a mixed-age class of two-and-a-half to six-year-olds in a Montessori school. Also. A reminder that I will be presenting at a free online virtual Montessori conference in a few weeks. My presentation on learning a second or third language in the first plane of development will be live on November 17th. I hope you'll join me for that presentation and for some of the many other incredible presentations that will be live during the conference from November 15th to 21st, 2021 find the link to sign up in the episode description. The conference is free to attend live, but you can also purchase a lifetime access pass to have the videos forever. And a special request, if you do decide to purchase the lifetime access pass, I'd so appreciate if you would use the link in the episode description. I get credit for everyone who signs up using my link. Okay, let's get right into my conversation with Jessica. Welcome to the Multilingual Montessori podcast, Jessica. I'm so excited to finally sit down and chat with you. Um, To start, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do.
1: Thanks for having me, Gabrielle. Uh, Well, my name is Jessica Wennery. I am a mother of a five-year-old. I um, am also like the owner of Western Oaks Montessori School. I am a primary Montessori guide, uh, I am a nature lover, I love climbing, I love yoga, um, and I love being outdoors. That's a little bit about who I am. Yeah, so
0: um, walk me through your Montessori journey. So, well actually let's back up. So you started, um, you started Western Oaks Montessori School um, at the beginning or maybe at the height of the pandemic. So now walk me through your Montessori journey before what brought you to that point? How did you first find out about the Montessori method and what were your early teaching experiences like?
1: So I went to college and I graduated with an education degree. Um, I taught in public schools uh, and I loved teaching children. I loved being with them, Um, but I started realizing like in my years, I was um kind of running the classroom a little bit more differently Um, and i just there was a lot of things i just couldn't get on board with you know like the public behavior charts and the moving the colors down Um, i just felt like i wasn't really respecting the children and i felt just really um i felt like this struggle all the time because i worked with at-risk children and i worked with children who really needed lots of help with different parts, but I was forced to follow this curriculum. And like every day, this is what I taught, whether they were ready for it or not. And I really felt like I was doing them a disservice in that sense. Um, so I kind of made up for it with like just my relationship with them. And, um, I was teaching third grade, um, ESL class in 2014. And, um, my partner, Joe, he, He does a lot of research and he was just like, Hey, I really think you should look into the Montessori philosophy. I had never heard of it before. Never even like, it never came up even in my education classes, but he was like, I looked it up. I was reading about it. And it seems like what you do in your classroom is more aligned with Montessori. And he would know because he's the one that I come home to every day and basically, you know, vent to about what I don't (laughs) like and what I do like about being in a classroom. Um, And we were actually farmers in Northeast Texas, living out in the middle of nowhere. And I just Googled Montessori and this school came up that was like an hour away. So I took a day off from school and I went and observed and it was not like a fully accredited Montessori. Like I find this out all later because I had to go back and look, but Mm -hmm. just being there observing for, I, I think I was maybe there 30 minutes or at the most an hour. And I was like, okay, there there is something different out there that, you know, will really help children like be who they are meant to be. Um, And I also had a really hard time in public school. I felt like all the children were kind of forced to be the same child. They weren't really allowed to like be individuals. And so that's kind of where it started. I was like, oh my God, things can really be different. Like I'm not, like I can be in a place where I'm not forced to do something, um, that I didn't feel good with or, you know, and I know it's kind of crazy, but in Texas, um, corporal punishment is still a thing. Mm. And, um, it's, it blew my mind. I was like, I, I never did it with my students, but I just remember thinking like, oh my goodness, like they can go to the office and get a whooping like oh. that blew my mind. And wow. I was like, there's, there's. There's got to be better ways, you know. And some of my other coworkers would be like, "How? Like, how are you not sending like some some of these children?" And I would say, "I like I don't feel the need to. Like, that doesn't want help. I was spanked as a child. It didn't really help me at all. It made (sighs) me feel just like a lot of anxiety towards it and a lot of like resentment. And I felt like that's not what the children needed." And so we were kind of like at this crossroads anyways, and this was at 2015 now, towards the end of the school year, there was a lot going on, I really wasn't, um, I really didn't feel like uh, that school was the best place for me at the time. Um, My partner and I both were thinking like, okay, farming is great, we did really well, we were really sustainable, but it was a lot of work. We had also just finished fostering um, a 13 year old who had left and we were, you know, it was like really bittersweet in that sense. Mm. And so we were ready for a change. We're like, we're ready to leave. And um, we were like, well, where, where should we move to? And we picked a name out of a hat and it was Austin. Ah. And I just started Googling Montessori schools in Austin. And um, my coworker at the time actually invited me to a fair, like a job teacher job fair in Austin. And I was like, yeah, I'll come with you. I want to, I think I'm going to move to Austin anyways. So I came with her. Um, and I actually got two job offers at the job fair and I was like, should I take it? And I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to really look for Montessori. But when I came to Austin that time, I was like, okay, this is where I'm moving to. Like, I just, Mm -hmm. I'm going to move here. So I started Googling and I found some schools, um, got some interviews and that's where it started. And actually my at this interview, the school that I ended up working at, the thing that caught me the most was after my interview, it was a very long interview. Um, and when I look back, I laughed because I totally butchered all the answers. Like <laughs> they would ask me these questions. And I now looking back, I'm like, that was totally like not the right answer to say, but it all worked out. But we, I was leaving the interview and I'm walking through the front office and this lady says goodbye to me. And she's ends up being the guy that I'm going to work with. Oh, she wow. looks at me. And she's like, have a great day. And she goes, go in peace. Aww. I was like, just like mesmerized by her, you know? And it wasn't like a big thing. She was just saying goodbye, but like her mannerism and her voice, I mean, like she literally reminded me of an angel. Um, and I was just like, wow. Okay. -hmm. Okay, (laughs) you know, the school was beautiful, the people, I mean, like just and then when she said that to me, I was like, "I I need to work here. Um, and they offered me the position. And so that's how it started. And she ended up being the guide that I was working with, and she gave me like the best introduction to Montessori. Was that a children's house class? It was, it was a children's house class um, yeah, she, she was also a mom. She had, I think a two year old daughter at the time. And then I found out after we moved that I was pregnant. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah. And she, she was also pregnant at the time. And so we both were pregnant at the time, Mm -hmm. but it was the best introduction to Montessori because just as we, are respectful of the child and allow them to make mistakes. That's what I remember for, from her was she was so respectful. She basically just like took me under her wing and taught me as much as she could, but she also like gave me the freedom to be who I was. Um, There was just really great communication. She was really generous with like her knowledge and her time. And she ended up being a friend. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I feel like, and I only actually ended up having a few months as an assistant in children's house because I ended up having a very, um, very rough pregnancy. Mm. So I was only in there for a few months, but those few months like changed my entire perspective um, about education, about children, about even how to be with adults. Um, so yeah, she, she blew my mind. And so I'm forever grateful for her and how she just kind of led me on this path and was like the most amazing role model for me.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Um, okay. So you worked in the children's house for just a few months and then, uh, then you became a mom and how did the way that you think about Montessori change once you became a mom?
1: Oh, um, You know, before I kind of just thought it was a a classroom thing, right? Montessori is what you do in a classroom. Mm. But then I became a mom and I was like, no, it's a way of life. Like it is something you incorporate and not just in a classroom, it's at home, it's from birth, it's actually like before birth. Um, And it just made me realize like how much children aren't respected, but how we can change that um, and how. Um, how just beneficial it is for, for everyone. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, that's kind of, I want to say like Montessori shaped me as a parent mm-hmm. and helped me be, cause I knew that I, my partner and I both knew that we wanted to raise our child um, in a different way than when we were raised. And we had an idea of what we wanted. We just didn't know how to go about it. And then when we started learning about Montessori and then my partner, we both just started reading all the books and all the, you know, trying to speak to as many people as we can. i try to follow like a bunch of people on Instagram and just learning about it. And we were like, this makes sense. Like, this is what we were looking for. Wow. And... Yeah. Since, and then we started taking, like, we started registering for classes, like infant, like, you know, Montessori using Montessori with your infants. And then it just, it just kind of went from there. Uh-huh. And so I was, you know, in the, I was, I had a really hard pregnancy and my daughter had stopped growing at 24 weeks. And so we had just moved to Austin, new work, you know, new job, um, a new city. We didn't really know anyone here. And then we had a really hard pregnancy. My daughter had stopped growing at 24 weeks and I was going to the hospital like every other day to make sure mm-hmm. that she was still alive and um, gave me a lot of time to think and a lot of time to do research. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And um, and how
0: old was she when she started in a Montessori school? Did you do the
1: parent infant classes with her? I did. Yes, I did the parent infant classes with her. and. Um, That is actually what got me on the track to sex-positive parenting. Oh, okay. Yeah, tell me more about that. Well, it's something, you know, as a child, um, I would say, like, the way I was raised and just, I think culture in general was very much, um, sex was, like, a very shameful thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, A woman's sexuality was a very shameful thing. It was something to be hidden, you know. And I always felt very, like against that. I was like, I don't know why, like, this is such a bad thing. And I just could never express that. And then as I got older and I had moved out of my home and I started exploring, you know, things and readings, I was like, you know, this is kind of like part of life. Like it's part of life. Why are people embarrassed about it? Why are people really awkward about this? Mm -hmm. And so I did my own research, but then I never really thought about how I would parent as a, you know, be a parent with my child about it. And then in my parent infant class, I remember, um, Gwen, she is, I think of her as like my grandma because she's <laughs> like the most loving soul that just like took me under her wings. And just like, I, anytime I'm around her and my Joseph's and anything, anytime we're around her, we just feel loved. Um, but she was talking to us during this parent infant class about respecting your child. Like when, even when you're changing their diaper, like we speak to them, we tell them what we're doing. And she and I was w- wiping my child and she said something like, oh yeah, you're wiping her vulva. And I was like, her what? And uh-huh. she's like, yeah. And then I was like, that's the word for that? Like, I thought it was vagina. and And she's like, oh, well, you know, people think that, but like, and then she started telling me about this and I'm like oh my gosh, I have so much to learn. And that I remember just very vividly, that being the thing, being like, I need to learn like how exactly like about our bodies, like it's not shameful. We need to learn about it. And so we started learning and that's when, I don't know how I got into it, but I remember meeting this person who is, um, she's like the founder of sex positive parenting. I have no idea how I met her, but I met her and I met up with her one day And we started talking about all this and I'm realizing that, you know, children, like there's just so much um, sex positive parenting just starts with like consent as a baby, Mm. you know, like asking your baby to hold them like, or telling them like, I'm going to pick you up now. Or even as like a baby, like, may I give you a hug? You know, Mm -hmm. asking for consent, Um, teaching them the appropriate names for body parts. Like there's nothing shameful about our body, but yet you know, people come, sometimes they get these weird nicknames for your mm-hmm. private parts and it's like, oh no, it has a name. Like you wouldn't call your elbow something else. So let's just call it what it is. Um, and teaching children about body and taking care of their body and consent. And that's kind of how I started that journey. And, um, it makes me laugh how many adults my daughter has taught the word vulva. To. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> um, you know, and they were like, What? and I'm like, Oh, and it was just really funny. Like, I would just let my daughter do it, and she was like as young as like a year and a half, you know. And she would be talking, and she would say something like, Oh, I need to wipe my bulb or something, and they'd be like, Her, what? and I'm like, Oh, here we go. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> but she has grown up to be such a very, um, like she's very, very confident in her body, she's very well aware of her body. There are times where she will come and tell me, like you know, when this happened, it made my body feel this way. And she describes it to me in such a way that I'm like, wow, to have this awareness of her body of what feels good, what doesn't feel good, what makes her uncomfortable. Um, And I think I could even use more of that. Um, And so I think that was something that made me realize, like, there was so much of my life that I didn't really know how to access that. I mean, I could learn from her, like, this is something that, I could use in my life yeah yeah oh
0: that's amazing that's it's
1: so you know
0: when we talk about using teaching our children language and and you know using specific words for things we don't always think about all aspects of language and and i think that the sex positive parenting parenting movement really highlights a way in which we can be more um intentional in the language that we use with children.
1: Absolutely. This is what I always tell families. If you have never like listened to a three-year-old talk about dinosaurs, they have no problems telling you the names of dinosaurs. I struggle with the name sometimes, but yet a three-year-old can tell you all the different types of dinosaurs. And if they can pronounce those names, they can pronounce any word. You don't Mm -hmm. have to do baby speak to them. They are so capable of using the most complicated, intricate language.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. I love that. Um, I'm just thinking of all the three-year-olds I've taught throughout the years who love dinosaurs, as you say that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) So you, okay, so let's see, you had your daughter and she started in Montessori school and then you decided to do your Montessori teacher training. How did that decision come about? And um, and then was there anything that surprised you about Montessori or anything new that you learned about the philosophy after or during training, even though you had already been so familiar with Montessori?
1: So I first went and got my assistance to infancy certificate, which was like birth to age three, years. And that blew my mind. Like there was just so much of it. I was like, Oh my gosh. And I felt like in the class, there were moments where I would just tear up because it's like, Oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. beautiful." And I wanted to pursue that. I was, yeah, she was about a year. I think she was like a a little over a year old, a year and a half, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, when I took that class, and then the next summer, um, I, I wanted to continue the training for zero to three and I wanted to become, you know, but I, it didn't seem like it was very possible. in Austin. there was not a lot of programs with that. Mm. And then I knew that I also loved working with three to six, because even though I worked at the Montessori school, I only worked part-time and in the mornings I was a nanny and I had like three to four, um, two to three year olds. I had all the young ones. Um, and so I thought, okay, I can, I I've worked with this age group, three to six. I love it. I'm going to learn more. And so when my daughter, I don't even know how old she was when I started, um, I think she was two, two and a half. And I started my three to six primary diploma. hmm
0: And how is that, how is that experience?
1: Um I think the most that I really enjoyed was the philosophy just diving really deep into it, understanding the why, understanding like the science behind it. I mean, it's all scientific. So understanding the science behind it. Um, and there there is several lectures that my trainer gave where I had to leave because it was so touching, but it was also so hard for me because I, it made you reflect on your childhood mm. and it made you reflect on how your education, like how my education was. And I did not have the greatest experience in school. Um, and so it just made me realize like what all I could what all I had missed, but at the same time, I thought, Oh, now I know what I could do differently for children. Mm. Um, that was my favorite part. And then just being with like the group, our cohort was just like a family. We were together every day all day for three years, three summers. And, um, you just, you know, you just are so connected to them because they see you like, you know, they see you crying in class because (laughs) you are so (laughs) sleep deprived (laughs) and your album is not ready, you know, or they're, you know, bumping you with their elbow because you're falling asleep in class. And I'm just like, Oh man, you know?
0: Oh yeah. Um, I remember the the crazy things that I cried over in teacher training. (laughs) Yeah, it really
1: they see you at your best and at your worst. Absolutely. But those are still the people that I speak with. And, you know, if I need help with something, those are the people that I reach out to. Um, So it became like a little family.
0: Oh, I love that. Um, So that brings me to Western Oaks Montessori School. I think that it is so incredible that you've started your own Montessori school. So I want to hear all about what led you to that decision, and the highs and the lows, and how it's
1: going. Yeah, so <laughs> um, that's a story in itself. Um, after, oh. should I ask you first about
0: traveling the world with a three-year-old before we go into that? Does that does that segue? Well and that, okay, okay, let's back up. Yeah. So <laughs> that's segue. Um yeah. you traveled all throughout Asia when your daughter was three years old. Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear about yes. um I think mean, that is so brave. And I consider myself, you know, a pretty well traveled person, but I guess also not being a mom, like I, I just can't imagine traveling all over with a three-year-old. I remember how light you packed. You would always post about that. But I would love to hear about the decision to um, go travel throughout Asia with your daughter and your husband and um, yeah, how that came about and what that experience is like.
1: So in 2019, I had been, um, you know, I was working full time. I was a mom full time. I was in school full time. And I knew um, that once I got, once I graduated with my primary diploma, like I would be guy, you know, I would be a guide. And I just was like, oh, we travel a lot. And once I start, I'm I'm gonna want to do it for so many years so I can get used to it and I can't take a break. And my partner was like, "Why don't we take a year off?" And at first, I was like, "There's no way this is possible." And he's like, "It's now or never." And uh-huh. I was like, "Okay, here we go." And we had travel. I mean, we travel quite a bit. Like that's basically like what we do on all vacations and holidays. We just travel. Uh, my daughter went to Costa Rica for her first trip um, when she was a year and a half, and she's been to 15 countries now. Wow! And she yeah we it was one of those things i was like it's not possible and then like a day later i was like okay we're doing it and i didn't know how well it would go i didn't know how it was going to happen i just know that we had to do it because i was so exhausted and i was like i really need a break and that's what i ended up telling um the head of the school when i said hey i really need to take a year off and they were kind of like taken back. they're like oh and i was like you know i've been working full time, I've been in school full time, I've been momming full time, and I am really exhausted. And once I finish my diploma, I'm gonna go straight into work. And that's even more exhausting. Mm-hmm. And I can only do that really well if I take care of myself and I need this year off. And so I kind of was like, this is what I'm doing. Um so yeah, we we decided I can't even, I don't even know when we decided that. I think it was in May right at the end of the school year. And then I did that summer, you know, I was in school full time and then, yeah, we left for Asia September 1st. Um, we were renting a home. So we just packed it up, put it in the smallest storage unit we could find and packed our backpacks. And we had two suitcases, um, roll because we were also rock climbing and, <laughs>
0: Mm -hmm. I was
1: like, well, if we're going to explore, we're going to rock climb. So we're going to take all of our rock climbing gear.
0: Okay. So then you, then you left for Asia. How did you decide which countries in
1: Asia to visit? So a lot of what we did was, um, kind of, it's called like help X. It's where you, uh, we would find people online and we would work for them for a couple of hours a day in exchange for housing and meals. We also did a lot of, um, cheap flights, whatever was cheapest, we would go, (laughs) Oh, okay. So you
0: didn't necessarily plan out the whole thing in advance. You no,
1: no. Okay,
0: (laughs) So where? So tell me what your itinerary was. Where did you end up going?
1: Okay, so we started in Taiwan. Then we went to Vietnam, uh, Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, Nepal, (laughs) Sri Lanka, Indonesia. Malaysia and Brunei. Wow. So what was that
0: like with a 3-year-old? What was your daughter's experience like? What was your experience like traveling with a small child? You know,
1: it was it was not as hard as I thought it would be. Um I think because she's also used to traveling a lot, she was it was a lot easier. Um and I think a lot of it boils down to also how we raised her the Montessori way she's a very independent child super adaptable um and we just kind of took it like the world is our classroom like there's things to learn everywhere um and I want to say Joe and I are both pretty laid back parents and so it was a little bit easier in that sense and she's super outdoorsy and so we were just doing lots of outdoorsy things she was in heaven. She gets along. I mean, like she is a child that like hangs out with adults a lot. Um, And so it wasn't hard for us because she just kind of entertained herself. And then if she had adults around her, which of course everyone in those countries were just so, they were just so generous with their time and their love. And we made so many friends and we actually met a lot of climbing partners through her (laughs) uh, because she would be playing, you know, with whatever at the crag and Joe and I would be climbing. And I remember we're in Vietnam on Cat Ba Island and this guy came by and she was like, Hey, do you want to play with me? And he was, I think he was from uh, the Netherlands and he was just like, uh, okay. Uh-huh. And he just played with her. And then we ended up climbing with him and a, like a bunch of us just ended up becoming a group because of her. And we climbed for like a week together. Wow. And it was Yeah. We had so many people from different countries. So it was, it was a lot easier than I thought it would be. Um, we didn't really have a lot of expectations for it. We were just like, we're just going to have fun. And, um, we, I wouldn't say we were like extreme budget travelers, but we were definitely budgeting. We, um, so we stayed in, like, we would live with these people like, um, in their homes or, you know, wherever, and work for them in exchange for housing and meals. So that took out a lot of our um expenses. Mm-hmm. And we walked mm-hmm. everywhere. I mean, she was three and a half, and the most she could like she could make up to like seven miles a day if we wow. took a lot of. So we walked everywhere. Um, Joe what we would like if we needed to get somewhere, we would just rent a scooter for the day. It was like six dollars. And so we would rent a scooter and all three of us would like hop on with all of our climbing gear mm-hmm. and um, look at our maps and get to where we needed to go. There was a lot of, it was a lot of adventuring. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. There's definitely moments of being like, I did we really just do this. Like, are we really going to do this? But we did it and it was fun. And my daughter still talks about her time there. She will sometimes even ask, like we bought a home last year and she'll ask like, are we always going to live here or are we, are we going to be in other places? Um, so it was it was a wonderful experience, and I'm so glad I got to do that, and I'm glad I got to do it with um, Joe and Jasper because it was the most that we've ever spent time together. <laughs> so that was yeah. new. But
0: yeah. what I was remember, good. I remember that you. I mean, maybe this happened many times, but I remember one post that you shared where she had met another child, um, and they didn't speak the same language, and you were you know, marveling at how they were able to communicate. Um, So I'd love to hear about what her linguistic experience was like meeting people who didn't speak English and, and, and what that was like for her and for you.
1: It was so easy for her. One of the reasons we decided to do this journey is because we wanted to raise a child who was aware of the world around her and of the differences and to, you know, be comfortable with all these differences um and to learn about other cultures and it was easier for her to adapt because that's what she was used to you know um she just she we communicated and she picked up like everywhere we went she would pick up language and so before we would arrive in a country we would try to look up at least basic like 5 to 10 basic words like hello how are you thank you and we would like repeat it in the airplane so that way she would know and even with just those basic words, I think the people, they were just so kind. They were like, oh, these people are trying, you know, especially when like a three and a half year old is trying to speak to you in your language. They're just like, oh my, you know, they, were, they loved it. Yeah. And that just helped, that helped us out in so many ways because we learned about their culture. We were invited to like people's homes that we had like strangers. They would invite us to their homes, um, and cook food for us and like take care of us. Um, And it was, it was beautiful because she learned so many languages and we were able to experience so many beautiful moments that didn't involve our language. Mm. And it kind of just reminded me about the goodness of people and about like love. Like it's so universal. You can communicate with more than just our words.
0: Oh, I, I mean, I could listen to you talk about that forever, but I really, I, I also want to hear about Western Oaks Montessori. Yes. So if you don't mind me changing the subject, maybe I'll have you back on to talk about more Asian adventures. Um, so you, that brings, at the end of your uh, Asia trip brings us, I think, to the start of the Western yes. Oaks Montessori journey.
1: We came back from Asia early. We came back after seven months because of COVID. Um, I had a job contract, but it was kind of up in the air. Like nothing was guaranteed. So, um, we were house shopping. We didn't really have anywhere to live. Um, so we didn't have anywhere to live. I was still finishing up school. Um, we were trying to acclimate to life back in the U S, um, during a pandemic. So I had like no friends around me. And I was getting job offers, nothing seemed right. And people had been telling me for years, like, hey, just start your own school. And I would always say, that's not what I want to do. I just want to be with children. I don't want to deal with business, like any of the business aspects to it. But, But Joe said, if you want to do this, I will research everything and I'll do it for you if this is what you want. And I think that's one good thing that came out of COVID. It like pushed me out of my comfort zone. I, We didn't feel like really at peace with any of my job offers. Um, And I really wanted a space for Jasper, my daughter, to go. I wanted something consistent for her that wasn't me worrying about, is school going to close for a month? Is it going to close for a week? Is it going to close forever? And we started researching. And one morning I woke up and I said, this is what I'm going to do. And 40 days later, we opened our doors and started the first day of school. Yeah. My goodness.
0: that was it. So, I, I mean, I don't even know if I would know where to start. So did you start with the space? Did you start with the children? What was the process like?
1: I think the first thing was the business part. Like Joe went and did all like the LLC. And then I started like researching, like how many children can I have in my home? Like because of licensing and what does that look like? And then I said, well, let me just see if anyone's interested. And I just posted like a quick post on this like Facebook group. It was like, if you're interested, this is what I'm thinking about doing. And I got emails galore. Mm. And we were living, we were renting a home from, and this talks like reminds me back to that, like how amazing people are and the goodness of people. Like the lady that rented, like rented us the home was actually supposed to be my midwife. And I didn't end up, you know, having a home birth or a birthing center birth because of my daughter, but we kept in touch and she offered me, she was like, Hey, I have a place. You're welcome to stay there. And so we were living In East Austin, trying to find a home, we're like, "Well, if the school happens, like, where are we going to live? Like, where is this going to happen?" And trying to find a home, and this is kind of when like the craziness started with housing markets. And I remember looking at homes all the time, and people offering like ten thousand over, and me thinking, "Who can afford this? Like, how can people afford to spend ten thousand over?" And as luck would have it, we ended up finding a home like in our budget in South Austin. And I remember like not really knowing what the house looked like. Cause I remember seeing the house, looking at the price and saying, that's above my budget because people are going to offer like 10 over and I'm not going to pay. And I walked out and my realtor was like, just go for it. And we did, we didn't even end up paying over, but somehow we got it and we moved in. And during this like 30 days in between moving in, we, I like just started asking friends and neighbors like, okay, this is what I started making a list of what all I needed. I kind of had my group already. I knew I wanted this range. I knew I wanted only six families. We ended up having seven because it was just like, ended up being a perfect group and started making materials and sourcing materials and asking people like my buy nothing groups, like, Hey, this is really random. These are the things I need. Can anyone help me? So we just started working and then we found this home. We moved in, we had 10 days to get it together. Um, and also I I just say like, I couldn't have done it without the support of Joe and our friends and our family because they came together and like basically made it happen. Like I just asked for help and people were more than happy to help. Like I had friends say, Hey, I actually have this Montessori material. Like in my storage that I don't even use. You're welcome to have it. Or I would say, Hey, keep an eye out for this. And I remember Joe during one of his runs one morning, he found a child-sized table that was around. And we, at that time, like we couldn't find child-sized tables because everywhere was sold out because everyone was potting. And he ran the rest of his run, holding a table over (laughs) his head. And, um, but like just things like that. Like people just saying like, Oh, I have this or, Hey, I know someone whose school is closing down and they're selling everything. Like I want to give you their information. Um, that's basically what I did all day was like make things. And I, sew. so I started sewing all the work for it. I started asking friends for help and they they were like, yeah, I can sew five things for you. And they would sew them for me and, Oh, I need you to like cut wood out for me. You know? Um, so basically just asking for help. And we just worked really hard. And, um, Joe did so much of the background work. I remember like the HOA, I was freaking out. Like, what if they like say, we can't have the school. So one night he read the HOA, like booklet three times. Cause I kept making him check. Like, are you sure we can have a school here? Um, So yeah, it's just thanks to the community. Um, And I just had a lot of support. Like, there's no way I can do this on my own. And then the families we had, oh my gosh, it was such a wonderful year. It was like our families just all grouped together and kind of survived COVID that way. Like the children all had a great time. I had a great time Um, just being with them, learning with them. Um, it was just a very sweet time. I think it was a time, you know, during COVID when people didn't, weren't really social. And a lot of us were suffering from like not having people around us, but we had this group where we saw each other every day and the children could be together and learn and play and have fun. And the parents were like, it's nice to be somewhere where I can, you know, trust that my child is going to be safe. We didn't wear masks last year, but we were all so safe. We were all very respectful of each other's, you know, what we our preferences were. And we were safe and no one got sick. Wow. Yeah. That's great. And it was, it was amazing. It was, it was hard. It was so hard, but it was also so amazing that it was worth it. Like it was so much fun. The children were just so delightful. I think they were just so happy to be with each other. And um yeah, it was just like the sweetest beginning to our school. Like, I just, it's like, how do things work out perfectly? I don't know how it happened, but it happened and it was just so beautiful.
0: Oh, I love that. Thanks for sharing that experience. Um, it's, it's so amazing. Um, well, before we wrap up, I do want to hear about, um, how, okay. Two, two different topics that might be related. Um, what does biculturalism look like in your family do you so you and your partner are from different backgrounds do you um how do you share both of your heritages f- with your daughter
1: uh, i'm indian and but i was born and raised in texas and my partner he's white um i it's actually um something that we're working on because i was not really raised, um, learning a lot about, I mean, it was definitely ingrained in how I was raised, but there's a lot of aspects of my culture that I was not, um, introduced to or made aware of growing up just because of my um, family's religion, my parents' religion. And it was only after my daughter was born that I started really thinking about like, what does it mean for me to be Indian? Like, what does that look like? So the journey is actually for both my daughter and i um learning together what it is like what um like what makes us indian i guess um learning about like our holidays together mm-hmm. learning about um you know she loves indian food my partner actually cooks it but it's learning more about it you know there is it was this it was it was kind of a joke but it was really sweet she would always say like oh like you eat food with your hands, like rice with your hands because you're Indian. And I was like, yeah, you know, I eat Indian food with my hands because I'm Indian. And, um, we had this child in our school last year who was Indian and they, it was kind of a sweet thing. At first I was kind of taken back, but you know, children are just very um, honest. And she would say, well, I'm half Indian and you're full Indian but we still eat a lot of the same food. <laughs> and we get super excited when she would see that, like he would sometimes bring Indian food for lunch and she would be super excited. Like, Oh, like my Amaji, which means grandma. She's like, my Amaji's made that for me before. Um, and so it was really cool to see that, you know, she has this awareness of about her. We've also um, have been teaching her how like, you know, it, um, was kind of hard for Jonah when we first started dating, you know, to have two different cultures. Um, and we, you know, teach her at like a child appropriate level, like what it was like. And we tell her like, you know, 54 years ago, like mommy and daddy couldn't have married each other. Um, and so this is like a big thing for us to like, show her like, yes, you you know come from two different cultures, but this is our family culture. We bring in things from each culture, and that's what makes us unique. It's and I there's a lot of people say, well, other families can be different. Yeah, every family is different. Every family has their own way of doing things. This is why we do things, and there are times like, well, we I do this thing with you know his my my grandparents on his side, and I do these things with your grand you know your parents, mm-hmm. and yeah. so yeah, it's, it's still a journey for my daughter and I, and I mean also Joe. Um, and I, one of our goals is to be able to go to India as a family and just kind of spend a lot of time learning about my culture that I just didn't know about.
0: Yeah. Well, I love that. I love that. That is a journey for you and her together and for your family. Um, and the last thing I wanted to ask you about was, I know that you, Uh, incorporate Spanish into your family life. So tell me just a little bit about what that experience has been like for you
1: and your daughter. I, you know, growing up in Texas, I learned Spanish in school. It was something that I kept taking. I just loved Spanish. I loved also the Spanish culture. Um, when I taught, you know, public schools, most of my children, a lot of my students were from Spanish speaking families. And I just practiced a lot because if I wanted to have parent conferences, I would have to do it in Spanish. Um, and we, because I spoke intermediate Spanish, we would, you know, Joe and I have always visited, uh, we have visited almost every country in Latin America because I can speak Spanish. And so we can get around easier. And because of that, we've always taken Jasper. Like the first country she's been to was like Costa Rica, Panama, Honduras. And so she has always caught on to the language. Um, and then in the summers where I was in school, Joe would take her to Costa Rica because he met a wonderful woman there who is kind of like we call Jasper's Costa Rican grandma. Mm-hmm. And so she was around Spanish a lot. We just got back from Colombia. We were in Colombia for a month where we also practiced Spanish. Um, last school year, we did have like a Spanish immersion class. So she was around it. She is not fluent in Spanish. It's something I'm hoping that she will eventually be. I'm trying, you know, I'm not forcing it, but there are lots of times where we speak to each other in Spanish, especially when we're traveling. Um, I try to make it a point to speak to her mostly in Spanish. Um, Also for her to be um, aware of the language. And, you know, when we were in Colombia, there are people, of course, that speak English, but I, you know, their language is Spanish and I wanted her to speak to them in their language language. And she, she realized, she's like, well, it makes them more comfortable because it's what they're, what they know. And so, yeah, that's, you know, there are times where, you know, we're in a store and I'll say something to her in Spanish and it just like comes out. Um, And there are times where she's like, well, I don't understand what that means. And so, you know, we'll try to figure it out together, but um, yeah. And Joe has also been learning a lot of Spanish too. So it's been really nice we have plans to hopefully explore more of South America and um, that'll definitely come in handy in some of those countries.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that she, that she had that realization on her own that speaking someone's native language in their country makes them feel more at home. That's such a special experience for her to
1: have at such a young age. She, she's, a, she's a great child. She's very aware of um, the world around her and aware of people. And um, yeah, I think she kind of can just like look into people's like hearts and see what they need and just be there for them. I think that's one thing I've noticed about her. She just kind of knows what people need and kind of fills that for them.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so special. Um, Well, this was an amazing conversation, Jessica. Before I let you go, I would love to hear if you have any advice for parents who are interested in raising their child in a Montessori way, um, what would you tell parents about Montessori
1: or about something that you've learned on your Montessori journey? Um, I I would tell families that Montessori is not the materials. I think that's what people think of when they think of Montessori, they think of all the beautiful materials and they are beautiful. Oh my gosh, they are so beautiful. but it doesn't have to be about the materials. It doesn't have to be pricey. That was my first worry. Cause my first impression was like, Oh, it's nice, but it's also super expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were able to do it without spending a ton of money because it's not really the materials. It's a lot about respecting the child and using what you can have, um, and making it work for your family. Um, following the child that always works, following the child, um, of course not doing whatever they want but you know following the child in their interest and respecting them i think that is the cornerstone of montessori philosophy yeah yeah i agree
0: um well thank you so much this was such a wonderful conversation i really appreciate yeah thanks for having me telling us about all of these aspects of your life this is wonderful Thank you again to Jessica for joining me for this conversation. You can follow Western Oaks Montessori, the school that Jessica started on Instagram at Western Oaks Montessori ATX. You can follow Multilingual Montessori on Instagram at multilingual.montessori. And you can find more resources for raising bilingual and multilingual children from a Montessori perspective at multilingualmontessori.org. Don't forget to sign up for the free online Childhood Potential Conference. And remember, if you purchase the Lifetime Access Pass, I would so appreciate if you would use the link posted in the episode description. Please take a moment to subscribe to the Multilingual Montessori Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you're interested in supporting this podcast and my work even more, you can now support me on Patreon. I'll be doing one bonus episode a month for Patreon supporters, where I do a deep dive on a topic related to language acquisition in young children and answer listener questions. You'll find the link to that in the episode description as well. Otherwise, if you enjoyed this episode, a wonderful way to support the podcast is to share it with someone who you think would enjoy it as well. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time!